Happy late Thanksgiving. You guys enjoy your food? Yeah, has a tryptophan worn off? We're ready? Awesome. Well, hey, who, who here is competitive? You are competitive. All right, so you, you just proved it, some of you. You shot your hand up right away. You're like, I got to be the first one. Some of you, I might have seen some elbows there too, you know, some spouses, letting them know, yes, you're, you're competitive. So I have my moments where I'm a little bit competitive. I'm like selectively competitive, I would say. I want to tell you about one of those moments. So go back with me to, to fourth grade, my fourth grade year, fourth grade Andrew, and I'm in Mrs. Johnson's class. And this really, really, really important competition took place where I just knew I was going to win. You see, there was this reading competition, and the the idea was that every student, for every 50 pages that they read, you got to have this little cutout paper football placed on the wall in the classroom for everyone to see, right under your name. And the winner of this competition, over I don't know how long it was, a month or, or whatever, the winner of this competition would receive a signed football by the starting quarterback of the Colorado State University Rams. And if you're thinking that means nothing because they don't have a good football team, you're right. (laughs) But for fourth grade Andrew, that might as well have been a million bucks. And so I started, I dove in, I read and read and read. And as the days and the weeks went by, Football after football after football went up on this this bulletin board. And it was clear that I was one of the leading competitors. However, there was one other competitor that was neck and neck with me. His name was Andre Salers, and he was my arch rival, my nemesis. And I knew this would not be an easy fight. And so I read and read and read, and there was a week left, and then four days, three days, two days, we were neck and neck. That night before, I was reading like a crazy person. I just couldn't put a book down because I knew that football was mine. Well, we get to school the next day, and, 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 and the, the footballs are in. All the, the reading has been done, and, and they needed to bring in, I believe it was like some teacher's aides to count all the footballs that Andres and I had. It took a long time. And as they read out loud to the class the results, my heart sank. I lost the competition. I did not get that football. But Mrs. Johnson did something because she was so sweet. She saw how hard we both worked and she ended up getting me a football. Now it wasn't the same exact football that Andre Scott. He got this kind of big real football and it was signed and and, and she, Mrs. Johnson, got me the smaller football. (laughs) And it was CSU, Colorado State University colors, green and yellow, and she got it signed, too, from this quarterback. He actually came into the classroom and said hi to all of us and signed our footballs. But I couldn't get over something. My football was smaller. (laughs) 
And it bothered me. It really bothered me. I, thought, I went home that night and thought about it and was so bothered. How could I get this lesser, smaller thing? When I worked so hard, I put in so much time and effort and energy. And Mrs. Johnson, this is all you're going to give me? What's the deal? So I had this plan. I, I went, I was, my plan was to go to school the next morning. I was going to talk to Mrs. Johnson. I was going to set things straight. So I go in, football in hand, and I walk up to her and I say, Miss Johnson, I, I've got a problem with this football. Why did I get such a small one when, when Andres got the big one? I put in all this work. And I'll never forget, Mrs. Johnson, she, she was sad. She was sad in her eyes. I could see her heart sinking because she put so much thought and effort into this gift. And all I had to say to her was, that's it? <laughs> Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we do this, don't we? We look at our circumstances, we look at our life, we look at maybe the stuff we have right? It's Black Friday started and all the different commercials of the things that you don't have that you need. You say, God, this is it? This is all you've given me? We'll get our bank account. We'll get our job. We'll get maybe that promotion we got passed over. We say, God, this is it? We'll get our family. We'll get our, maybe our kids and they're not behaving the, the way they should. Why can't you just be perfect children? God, this is, this is it? Today we're going to talk about this choice that you and I have. You see, we, we have a choice to live entitled. God, I, I deserve more than this. We have a choice to live tight-fisted. It's mine. Kind of like a toddler, which pray for, for Shay and I. Our boy's going to be a toddler in a few weeks now. It's coming. Mine. Or we have a choice to live open-handed. A life of gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've given me. I don't cling to it where it's, it's mine, mine, mine. I've earned it. I'm open-handed. God, whatever you have for me, you can give it, you can take it. It's all yours. You and I have that choice to live the closed-fisted life or to live the open-handed life. Now, why does this matter to you today? This matters because this affects everything. Pastor Jim talked last week about that grump slump, right? You can get this grump slump, and it affects everything, doesn't it? It affects your marriage. It affects your relationships, your friendships. It affects your work. It's, it's, it's almost like, and Pastor Jim talked about this last week, we've been hardwired for thankfulness. When you and I live close-fisted, we are operating in a way that we were not made for. And when that happens, we start short-circuiting Start living in a way that 
we were made for, and it comes out in different ways. When you and I live closed-fisted, we settle for so much less than what God has for us. And so the question we're going to ask ourselves today is, how do I live the open-handed life, acknowledging that what I have is from God? How do I say, God, thanks for my football? So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It's this incredible story. I cannot wait to go through it with you. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. As we ask ourselves a question, how do I live the open-handed life? And our main point today is this. You have a choice. Live open-handed or live close-fisted, it's up to you. And so if you are ready to dial in, if the tryptophan has worn off from that turkey, if you're ready to just live that open-handed life, would you say, I'm ready? All right, well, let's pray as we continue this time. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the blood applied. Jesus, you changed our lives. And we come to you with open hands. Lord, be with each of my friends in this room who I know did not come in here today just with life going 100% peachy. (laughs) I pray you'd meet them where they're at. You'd speak to them. You'd love on them. God, if we believe this Jesus stuff, and I do, it means that your, your Holy Spirit's working. You lead, you guide, you comfort, you counsel, and God, you convict. So Lord, be with each one of my friends here and online. We pray that you speak directly into our lives. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. We love you. We give to you our lives, and we give to you this time. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. So I want to break this down into three kind of sections for us today. So first section is the setup verses 36 through 40. We're going to see in a second how this this gets set up, the stage gets set. The second is the story. Jesus is going to give this incredible story, verses 41 through 43. And the third section is is really the so what, or the, the point of the story, verses 44 through 50, where Jesus drives home the point and the point that you and I get to hear today. And so let's start verses, verse 36, and we're just going to take this line by line and see what God has for us today. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And so one of the Pharisees, so the, the Pharisees, they, they didn't have the best relationship with Jesus, and Jesus had some really strong words for them. There's a lot of animosity that the Pharisees had towards him. How dare he claim to to be God? 
And so the Pharisee, one of them, invites Jesus to have dinner with him. Probably some mixed motives. It's like, I gotta get to know this Jesus guy. What's, what's going on with him? And I just, I love too, by the way, that Jesus doesn't just hang out with sinners and tax collectors, sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes. That's really important. He also hangs out with the self-righteous, the people who feel like they have it all together. He's loving on all of them, spending time with all of them. So Jesus accepts this dinner invitation and he goes to the house and he reclines at the table. This is important, him reclining at the table. And so the tables in that day and age, they weren't like our American tables. Like when you ate your Thanksgiving meal, you probably didn't sit at what Jesus sat at. He sat at a triclinium. Frankly, it'd be kind of hard to eat your turkey that way, I feel like. But it's, it's where you're laying down, you're propped up on an arm. And so your feet are facing out. That's really important as we continue this message is for you to get the idea. So not just sitting at your dinner table, but he's propped up on one arm. He's laying down. He's got his legs out. That's a triclinium. Try, try eating your Thanksgiving turkey that way. It'd be hard. So verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Anyone else live a sinful life before Jesus, right? We're all sinners. This is really important, too. This is not the fact that this, this woman is, oh, she's different than us. No, we, we want to put ourselves in the shoes, <laughs> the sandals of this woman as we go through this passage. She lived a sinful life. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, so we're not exactly sure what's going on with this woman. Some think she might be a, be a prostitute. Whatever, whatever it was, she was known in that town for being a sinner. She was known for, for you know, being an outcast. We don't associate with her. And she hears that Jesus is coming to this dinner. And she grabs her alabaster jar. She grabs her family heirloom, maybe this special stone jar, and it's full of perfume. So whatever your favorite essential oil is, maybe. Think about what was in there, something really nice, really expensive. And she's got a plan. She's got a plan to take it to Jesus. Let's see how that unfolds. Verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Imagine you're at your Thanksgiving dinner and some random person walks up and just starts doing this. Jesus is at your house and he's having a meal with you, sitting at the table, and this woman just walks up. This is odd. What is going on? So in this dinner party, we don't do this in the year 2023, but apparently around, you know, 30 AD, people could just come and go to these parties. If they weren't invited, they kind of are on the outs and they're kind of looking in and they kind of observe and probably wish that they were in that party. And so this wasn't too unusual for random people to, to come passing through. And remember, Jesus is at this triclinium. His feet are sticking out. And again, this woman's got a plan. She's going to come to Jesus, and she's going to anoint his feet with oil. Why would she do this? Somehow, this woman's life has been impacted by Jesus. 
Jesus ministered to her, maybe through a, a teaching or an interaction, but this woman has experienced the transforming impact of the gospel, and she just can't help but respond. Some of us in this room today need to be reminded of that. Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to change your life. And when that happens, we can't help but respond. So maybe you're sitting in in one of these chairs and you say, I am too far gone. The fact that I even came through these church doors, I never thought I would be here. God gave up on me long ago, you think. But what's true for this woman, it's true for you. Jesus wants to invade your life and to change it. He wants you to experience his love like this woman did. And so she begins to wet his feet with her tears. So I, I, I believe that the woman probably didn't plan for this to happen. You ever have those moments where you're, 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 you got a plan, you're going to do something, you're going to say something, and you start crying. You're like, I didn't expect this to happen. I didn't mean for it to, right? You, you have those moments and you just get choked up. I think this woman thought about all that Jesus had done for him, done for her, done in her life. She thought about how she was forgiven for her sin, the message of love and the gospel and of grace. And she just starts weeping. What a beautiful thing. And so her tears are wetting his feet. She's like, oh, I better dry them off before I put this perfume on. She wipes them with her hair, kisses those feet out of gratitude, pours perfume on them. How do you think the Pharisees feeling in this moment? This is what, what's going on? Well, we're going to get a sneak peek into what the Pharisees feel. And look with me in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You notice he's saying that to himself. He didn't say it out loud. He's really thinking it. Jesus knows his thoughts. And before we look at this Pharisee and go, shame on him. You ever have thoughts like that? And Jesus knows what he's thinking, and he's got something to say to this Pharisee. This is so interesting. Look at this next verse now, in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon doesn't realize that Jesus knows what he's thinking. He says, okay, tell me, teacher. Let's hear what you have to say. Let's hear your wisdom. And like Jesus does so often, he hits the heart. Right, when we read these words, when we read scripture, he hits your heart. He wants to talk to you individually. He's got something to say to Simon. It's gonna bring a little conviction to him. So look with me in verse 41, as now we've gotten through the setup, verses 36 through 40. Now we're going to launch into the story over the next few verses. So two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Okay, so a denarii, we don't operate in denarii today, right? We operate in the, the U.S. dollar. A denarii was a full day of wages. So you think about your job and how, how hard you work. You put in a lot of effort and energy to get that denarii back at the end of the day. Well, somebody owed this moneylender the story 50 days' worth of wages, which is still a good amount. The other one owed him 500. 
Think about what you make in a day and multiply that by 500 working days. That's a whole lot of money. Now today, money lenders aren't necessarily the nicest back then. They were not nice at all. You get thrown into prison for owing something, it can really mess up and, and, and ruin your life. So we mean verse 42, what happens? Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So you think that he would throw them in jail or something, but instead, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Well, it's pretty obvious. Verse 43 will tell us that. Luke 7, verse 43 says this. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I feel like Simon knows at this, time, at this point that Jesus has just trapped him. I suppose, right? Like he's saying with gritted teeth. Suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you've, you've judged correctly. You're right. Verse 44, then he turns toward the woman. I love this. Imagine this, this crazy scene, this party. Jesus is probably standing up now talking to Simon. There's the woman there who's, you know, she's just been crying. The smell of perfume is permeating the room. Everybody's watching. And he looks right at this woman. This woman who's been an outcast, who's been judged her whole life, who's been looked down upon. He turns and looks at her, not Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. So I, I love this. Jesus points out the fact, you Pharisee, you haven't done anything for me since I've gotten in here. This woman has shown me love and thankfulness and appreciation. And maybe you're sitting here and you, again, you feel overlooked by God. You feel overlooked by others. I've done too much. God's given up on me. Everyone else has given up on me. And yet Jesus does with you what he did with this woman. He looks right at you. He sees you. Some of us need to be reminded of that today. He sees you. Jesus goes on to say, after verse 45, verse 46, you didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And so Jesus acknowledges that she's got a lot of sin. She's messed up. She's, she's had her problems and her struggles and her issues, her many sins have been forgiven. And then I love that Jesus says, whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Jesus is comparing this Pharisee to the guy who owes that 50 days wages and this woman to the one who owes the 500 days wages. But the point is not how much they owe. You see, the Pharisee owes just as much as that woman. 
The point is that Pharisee doesn't get it. Simon doesn't get it that he owes just as much. And so that's why Jesus says, whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Verse 48, Jesus then said to her, your sins are forgiven. Verse 49, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus, we conclude this as Jesus drives home the point. He's saying, hey, your sins are forgiven. You can go in peace. Now, they're not forgiven because of what she did in that dinner. They were already forgiven. Jesus is acknowledging that and saying, hey, what she's doing now is a response of what she's already received. I just think about everyone in that room. I bet their jaws just dropped. What? This woman? Forgiven? She's loved much? But this is what Jesus does. He turns things on their head to drive home that gospel message of his love and his grace and his forgiveness. You have a choice to live open-handed like this woman or to live closed-fisted like Simon. So how do I live open-handed? Look with me in your, if you've got your hand out, point number one, we remember the bad news without Jesus. Remember the bad news without Jesus. We saw in verse 41 that they both owed money, right? This, this, in this parable and the story Jesus gives, the same way you and I, we owed a debt that we could never pay back. Remember the bad news without Jesus. I, I grew up in the church, which I, I thank God I got to hear the gospel from an early age. But something that can kind of happen is over time, you come to know Jesus when you're young and, and maybe over time you forget about how much you owed Jesus, that debt that you could never pay back. And as time goes on, you start thinking, ah, oh, maybe I owe 50 to Mary, maybe 40, maybe 30, maybe 20. You know, I don't know if I owe Jesus anything. And I would say that chasm between what you think you owe versus what you actually owe, which you can't even put a number on it. It's, 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 you can't count it. The chasm in between is where legalism can lie. This idea like Simon, I've got it all together. I'm self-righteous. And then we start looking down on those who are quote-unquote sinners. That's not me. When we remember the bad news without Jesus, it gives us that realistic understanding that no, I owed a debt that I could never pay back. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You, me, Simon, that woman, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. How do I live open-handed? I remember the bad news without Jesus. Point number two, I relish the good news with Jesus. 
We saw in verse 42 in Jesus' story that both of them had their debt forgiven. This is good news. You and I owed a debt we could never pay back, and Jesus canceled that debt. Do you remind yourself of that as a follower of Jesus? We're going to be celebrating a couple more baptisms in the second service. And and something that we like to tell our, our people when they get baptized is enjoy the moment. Take it in. Sometimes people get baptized and they're quick to crawl out of the, out of the baptismal. I like, Just look around. Take it in. Celebrate. And I think the same is, is true for us just when it comes to looking at the beautiful gospel and who we are in Jesus. Take it in. Enjoy that moment. Celebrate it. Some of us, we think we graduate from the gospel, right? Okay, that was, that was before I came to know Jesus, and now I, I move on to, to other things. But we are never done relishing, reveling in the sweetness of the gospel. That Thanksgiving meal you had was maybe once a year. As you enjoyed maybe the sweetness of that pumpkin pie. Enjoy that sweetness, though, of the gospel each and every day. How do I live open-handed? I remember the bad news without Jesus. I relish the good news with Jesus. And I respond in worship to Jesus. So we see this woman and how she responded and what she did. She knew the love of Jesus and she actually put it into action. She takes her alabaster jar, opens it up and pours on that oil. What's your alabaster jar? How can you respond in worship to Jesus and what he's done for you? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Maybe for you, pouring out that alabaster jar looks like, just, I'm going to devote my day to worshiping Jesus as I change that diaper. (laughs) I'm going to play that worship music in the background. Maybe for you, it's in your, your workplace Maybe your alabaster jar and pouring it out looks like being a witness to those around you. Showing the gospel and taking those opportunities to share the gospel. But what resources do you have? What time, talent, treasure do you have where you can pour it out at Jesus' feet? Not to earn something, that's legalism. Right, trying to pay back that debt. But because our debt has been forgiven, because we've experienced the sweetness of the gospel, we get to respond in pouring out our alabaster jar. Your finances, your job, your accomplishments, your resources. What are you pouring out for Jesus? True thankfulness is not found and how much money is in your bank account. 
how much hair is on your head, how much stuff you have or what's in your driveway. True thankfulness is found in Jesus. And through that, we then get to be thankful about all the other stuff too. It's okay to thank God for that, but it starts with him. How do I live the open-handed life? I remember the bad news without Jesus. I relish the good news with Jesus, and I respond in worship to Jesus. So what do you do with this? So a couple things. If, if you don't know this Jesus, the same Jesus this woman encountered, we want you to know him today. Come to Jesus. In a few moments, we're, our prayer team, I'm going to ask them in a few moments to come up, and would you, would you go up and, and talk with them? We want you to experience this Jesus. They'd love to pray with you. We want to just encourage you to believe in him and receive him. The same love he had for that woman, he has for you. Next one, maybe you know this Jesus. Well, serve him. You might not have an opportunity, right? Jesus isn't physically here where you can take your alabaster jar and pour out oil. But we know that when we serve others, it's like we're serving Jesus. Jesus tells us that. So maybe for you, that next step is serving him. One of the ways you can do that is joining one of our serving teams. We have this incredible group of greeters and kids workers and group leaders and student leaders and people during the week that put your pencils in, in front of your chair and that help count our giving and replace the air filters. There's so many things that you know you are doing in this church body to serve Jesus. And so maybe, just maybe, you be a part of one of those teams. So if that's you, go to the information center, go to our website, go to vvcc.online slash serve, and take a part in pouring out that alabaster jar. And so if you're on one of those serving teams, can you, can, guys, can we collectively just say thank you to them right now? Thank you guys for all that you do. Can we just... Thank you for pouring out your alabaster jar and serving others. And maybe, just maybe, God's calling you to take part in that if you're not already. So as we conclude, do you want to know how Mrs. Johnson responded to fourth grade Andrew? Yes. She gave me the football back. She did the best thing that she could possibly do as a teacher. She gave it back to me. She reminded me of what that football was worth. How she went out of her way to get a second football, to get it signed, to give it to me, and how precious it was. Still got that football somewhere. God gives us back as we say, God, this isn't enough. He gives it back and he says, look at it. Look what I've given to you. Look what you have for me. And ultimately, look at my son and what he did for you on the cross. You have so much reason to live life open-handedly. 
And so may you and I, may we take the football that God has given us open-handedly. May we praise him for it. May we thank him for it. And may we look for ways to pour out our own alabaster jar of perfume in our life. Hey, we want you to know if you need anything, if you need prayer, we are here for you. Our prayer team's gonna go up over here. Maybe you're having a hard time. Thanksgiving can be a tough time for people. The holidays can be a tough time. We're here to pray for you. Again, if you wanna know Jesus, let's pray for you over there. Maybe you don't wanna go up, but you can write down on one of our prayer cards in the seat back in front of you. And we love praying as a staff together for those requests that you put in. So you fill that out, drop it in one of those giving boxes. If you're new here, we are so glad you're here. We'd love to see you again next week. Fill out one of those connect cards in the seat back in front of you. You put it in the giving box or the information center. We've got a sweet goodie bag for you. It's got some really good sweets too. So if you didn't have enough sweets, go ahead and fill that guy out, get that bag. Um, But again, we're so glad you are here. Uh, Final thing too, we are gonna be putting out our Christmas trees today after second service. So go to the library after second service. So 11.30 on the dot if you wanna help because it's gonna go quick and it's gonna be a really good time. 11.30 on the dot in the library. And uh, guys, when you come back next week, it's gonna begin to look a lot like Christmas. (laughs) Ah, All right, guys, how we doing? Feeling good? All right, awesome. Well, hey, let's pray. And again, thank you for being here. Uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you, Jesus, for you. Thank you for that blood applied. You changed our lives. And Lord, so we look at the football you've given us, so to speak, and we say, wow, you've given us so much. Jesus, you gave your very life. So be with each one of my friends as they go out of this place. Lord, help us to live the open-handed life where we remember that bad news. We relish the good news and we respond and worship to you, Jesus, because you are so good. So we love you. We worship you. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Well, hey, have a great rest of your day. Go home and have a leftover turkey sandwich, all right? We'll see you next week.